Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our next-gen pastor, Myron Jellison, for this week's message. Well, good morning! Woo! Somebody who, before I came out, I like you. Whoever that was, I'm proud of you. Awesome. Hey! Welcome, I'm glad you're here. Uh, we're gonna dive right in. We've got a lot to cover and I wanna get there as fast as we can. So off the map, this idea that we as human beings want a roadmap, GPS, tell me where to go, when to turn and all the detailed navigation. We want that, but, but, but the series we're unpacking that God's plan and will for your life isn't that. It's more of a game plan. Here's some guardrails, here's some rules, here's some plays you can call to have the life that you're supposed to have. There's a lot of freedom. And we're going to have to live off of the map. Maybe society has their own map and culture's got their own map and, and, and we have our own map for our life. And maybe we're going to have to go off the map, live in the tension, live in the gray and try to figure out what this faith and the journey of following Christ is all about. Let me preface this. That, um, my topic today is holiness. And really the whole concept and idea of holiness is off the map. I mean, it is countercultural. It is in the gray. It's in this tension. And so we're going to get there. We're going to go there. We're going to wrestle with it. And we're going to have a great conversation about it. But I want to do this. You guys ever seen the FarmersOnly.com commercials? Anybody? I watch these commercials and I scratch my head going, is this really the marketing and appeal to farmers to join an online dating site? I, I, I'm baffled that there's a dog and a, and a cow having a conversation. They're both eating their own food. I can't believe Jimmy's over here dating these city girls. And, and then the quality, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. And, and <laughs> if that's you and you're on there, great. But I just don't get how that's appealing. And like the production quality is not very good. It's like some kid did it in his basement. He's putting it up and it's getting millions of views. And they're shown on national television. I don't understand it. But what, you know what's freeing about that commercial? when I'm frustrated and scratching my head and totally confused during the commercial, the last line, does anybody know what it says? City folk just don't get it. That's so freeing for me. I would consider myself a city folk and it's telling me I'm not supposed to understand. And there's this weight that's lifted off of me. And now I can just sing. And now I can just sing. You don't have to be lonely at farmersonly.com. Yes! I'm not confused anymore. They've given me permission to have freedom when I don't fully understand. God's holiness is just like that. God's holiness is this caveat. Hey, humans, you're not going to fully understand me. You, I'm going to leave you scratching your head. I'm going to leave you confused. I'm going to leave you frustrated sometimes. God is saying, I'm holy. I didn't come to fit into your picture, your box, your paradigm, your script on what you think I should be. And it's going to frustrate you. I know it frustrates me. But remember this. God is saying from day one, no matter what, just know that I am holy. Know that I am holy. And the definition of holy, it's in, your, it's in your study guide. If you want to pull that out and follow along, it'll be a great resource for you to have that study guide out. We gave you a pen on the way in because we love giving you pens. Woohoo, in your pens. Take notes, jot some things down, follow along with me. It's a great tool and resource for you. <clears throat> now, the definition of holiness is on top of your uh, study guide. It says this, different or set apart for God. That's what holiness means. It just means different or set apart for God. Now, when we use this word holy, 
okay? We don't use it very often. It's kind of this stained glass uh, word. It's a word that we really have this uh, religious or this churchy kind of uh, lingo. We don't, we don't walk up to somebody and say, hey, how you doing, man? Great to see you. Have a holy day. I mean, we don't, we don't use that in our normal everyday vernacular. Maybe this way we do, holy, sh- you know, maybe, maybe we, we have that in our vernacular, holy crap, or, you know, the Christian substitute for that, holy crap. Um, is it really holy? Is it really different? I don't know what makes it different. We're not going there. I'm not, I'm not going down that path. But just so you understand that this idea of this word holy, just because of its existence, is a different type of word. It's not a word that we use in our common day language. It means different. It means set apart. So I want to look at this recurring theme that I see in scripture, that I see God saying, hey, I am holy. God claims I am holy, so therefore you are to be holy. Because I am holy, you are to be holy as well. And I want to test this. I want to go search and I want to test this. But before we do, I want to take a moment and just reflect on this. God, you are different just because you're God. Like, because you exist, you are just by mere definition holy and different. So God, how can you claim to be holy when you are definitely holy just because you exist? And I want to test this. I want to go see and search and really find where God says he's holy, where we see God's holiness, his nature, that characteristic of him. And then I want to wrap it all up and say, how does this apply to us? What are the implications for you and I to follow in this holiness? You are different. You are set apart. So let's go. Isaiah 6 is where we're going to start. Isaiah is a prophet, okay? And he's a prophet of the nation of Israel, which is God's chosen nation. And basically a prophet is just a a truth teller. There's someone who would listen from God, they would hear from God and they would speak to God's people. So they would listen and speak, listen and speak. And that was pretty much his role for the nation of Israel. But every now and then God would show up to a prophet and give them a supernatural vision or a supernatural encounter with God. They would get to see into uh, uh, who God is a little bit more than what the normal average person would. And, and so Isaiah is going to have an encounter like this. He's going to get to look into the throne room of God. He's going to get to look into the most divine, holy place that ever exists, and that's God's throne room. And this is what Isaiah writes in, in chapter six when he experiences this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted seated on a throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Quick note, King Uzziah is a real king that, ha- that was, had a kingdom back in the day. I wanna clarify that the, the, this Bible, when it talks about King Uzziah, or these other kings and the rules of these kings, you can go back and there's been archeological digs and discoverings of manuscripts and documents and, and inscriptions and stuff that will point you to when King Uzziah was actually in, in, in power. So I want us to understand that this is a history book. The Bible is a history book of actual events, not some fictional narratives, stories. Clarification. So he sees, this, he sees a throne and he sees God sitting on this throne. And I want us to just say, this is kind of, I, I do this sometimes and you might as well. I think of God and go, yeah, God's God. He's like, I can't even comprehend, no big deal. But what about Jesus? Like he's normal every day, you and I, human being, I can relate and connect. And I think in that we lose sight of God's holiness. We lose sight of how big and powerful and majestic and and how much glory he has and how much reverence and surrender and awe we should be at the Father, at God the Father. And this throne, this idea, he's a king. He sits on a throne and, and, and the whole entire world existence creation is under his rule and his reign. And then his train of his robe is filling the entire temple. 
This isn't just some small box of a temple. Volumetrically, I would say it's probably as big as this room. Like, so his throne is massive. He's sitting on it and his robe, his train of his robe is filling the entire temple. And this is significant because back then rulers or kings, when they had the long robe, the longer the robe was basically said, how incapable I am of doing work. And that's why I have power. I have people doing work for me, right? Because let's face it, if you've been a bride, if you've ever gotten married, you got your train, if you had a train on your wedding dress, you ain't lugging that thing to work. I mean, if you did, it would be getting caught everywhere. People would be stepping on it. It would just not be a good day. You need people to manage your train so that you can actually function and walk even on your most special day as a bride. So his train, it's so big, he can't, he's not going to do work. That's, that's the level of his power. That's the level of his might. And that's the level of which significant majesty he is sitting on his throne. And then it says in verse 2, Isaiah is seeing all this, getting a glimpse into the throne room. It says, verse 2, above him were seraphim. Seraphim just mean burning ones. They are, they are a classification of an angel, okay? The burning ones. Each with six wings. With two wings, they cover their faces. And with two, they cover their feet. And with two, they are flying. Now, this is significant because God deserves the reverence and humility when we approach him. And these angels are doing it. They're covering their face and saying, hey, out of humility, I do not deserve to look at you. That's how, that's how much humility they have and how much reverence they're giving to God. I don't even, I can't even look at you. You're so holy. And then they're covering their feet. Feet were like an unclean, you know, body part. They're dirty and stuff. So they would cover their feet with another set of wings and say, God, out of humility and reverence for you, I'm not going to expose my feet in your presence. And then they're flying with another set and they are at God's, God's command. If God would say anything, those angels would go and they're ready. They're waiting and they are anticipating God's command. And this is what the seraphim are saying in verse three. And they, the seraphim, were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full, filled with his glory. Now, you see that capital word, Lord, L-O-R-D. It's all caps. That's not a mistype, not a misprint. That is the, the, the substitution for the d- divine name, Yahweh. And anytime you see L-O-R-D, that just means Yahweh, divine name that, that, Mo, that Moses received from God, call me Yahweh. Now, Moses, he was, he was the leader of God's people. And God, and God showed up to him and said, hey, Moses, listen, all of these neighboring nations have created their own small G gods, man-made gods. And guess what? You guys are starting to get confused a little bit. So I'm going to set myself apart, aka I'm going to show you that I'm holy and you're going to call me Yahweh from now on. I don't want to be mixed up and associated with these small G gods that man has made. So he shows up and says, call me Yahweh. That would be like you calling me pastor. And I would say, no, call me Myron. Because there's millions of pastors, okay? But there's only one Myron. Well, there might be more Myrons by name, but there's only one me. And now we have a connection. You can know me and I can know you. I'm not just grouped into this this unfathomable group or whatever. You can actually know God. And that's what he's saying. I want you to know me. Call me Yahweh. I'm set apart I am different. And the attribute of holy is repeated three times. Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh. Holy, holy, holy. Now, what's really cool about this is in the Greek and Hebrew language when this was written, okay, they didn't have the ability that we have to use punctuation. We can't just send a text, exclamation, 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 emoji, 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 know that it's significant, it's big, it's important. Even, even more so back then in their language, they didn't have the ability like we have to go wild, wilder, wilder wildest. 
They can't say, okay, wild, here's the level, small, a little bit of wild, wilder, a little bit more, wildest, my kids. I mean, like, I mean, like they didn't have the ability to show you the significance of the wild. So what they would do is they would take the word and they would just repeat it. And the more they repeated it, the more value, the more like uh, significant it was. And this triplet repetition of word only shows up a few times in scripture. A couple of times it says uh, land, 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 talking about the land. It says overturn, 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 okay? But the only time a word is repeated describing God's character and nature is holy. It does it twice. First, in the, one time in the New Testament, Isaiah, and again in the book of Revelation. Twice it does this. Never does it say, love, love, love is the Lord God Almighty. You won't find that. Justice, justice, justice is the Lord God Almighty. You won't see that. It says, holy, holy, holy. Different, different, different am I. Set apart, set apart, set apart am I. Now, in my holiness, I will do love differently, God's saying. I will do justice differently. That's all encompassing. But I want you to know, the characteristic that I'm repeating three times, twice in scripture, describing who I am, is I am holy. I am different. I am set apart. Set apart. I'm different than what you thought. I don't fit into your script. I don't fit into your box. I don't fit into your paradigm. You can't fully understand me. And we have to approach God with this understanding of knowing that he's holy. Because if we don't, We'll be scratching our head like, the, like at the television when we see the commercial, not understanding it, getting mad, getting frustrated and saying, God, I don't get it. We have to understand you're not supposed to. You weren't really designed. You can't as a human being fully get. You may. The world is not going to understand Yahweh. The world doesn't even really understand Jesus all that much. It's a little bit of tension. There's a little bit off the map. There's a little bit of undefined area that we have to trudge through as Jesus followers, figuring this thing out. Now, you may, you may walk your entire life trying to pursue God and understanding him completely. And you may get to the end of your life and not, but don't let that frustrate you. The caveat up front is that you weren't really meant to. And it says this later on in Isaiah 55, he says this, my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You see, you can't even begin to imagine his thoughts or begin to imagine his ways or his plan. And when we get frustrated, we go, why? But you're not supposed to. So when you walk into church, you get in your car, headed, can't wait to get coffee, maybe drop my kids off. And I walk into church going, I can't wait to figure out Yahweh today. You've missed it. You're not going to fully understand God. He's different. You missed the disclaimer. It's not going to make sense to you church folks, you city folks, you church folks. So let's test this holiness. Before we have to really listen to God and say, okay, I need to be holy, let's test God's holiness to make sure he is holy so therefore we can live out this command. I got a nice fancy chart in your uh, study guide. If you want to pull that out, follow along, great tool, great resource, but I'll also put the main points in the chart up there. The first column, if you're following along, is some descriptions. The, the middle column is how other gods give reasoning or, or description for it. And then the last column is big G, God, Yahweh, his uh, description for it. First one is reason for creating. Reason for creating. All other gods, small g gods, created out of a necessity and a lust. But God, big G, God, Yahweh, creates out of love and glory. Now, if you've ever uh, read about uh, other, these other epic stories about how creation happened and why things were created, you'll see some really bizarre things. And these small g gods, okay, 
They were man-made. And man is now having to give a reason for why men exist. There are the, the Assyrians and the Aztecs and the Babylonians and all of these different gods back in that day were trying to give a reason for why they exist. So they create these gods and then they give a description, this epic story of why human beings exist. And one of them is called the Enuma Elish. Super old story. You can go read it. It's kind of fascinating. It's wild. And here it is. I'll give it to you in a summary. There are these gods that were created by man and these gods are in a battle, Okay. And they're trying to fight it out for who's going to be the top, top, top dog, okay? Finally, one God comes out on top victorious. He's the champion, whatever. And now he has rule and reign and he has power. He listens to his mother. Interesting. He listens to his mother and says, hey, we need to make human beings so that they can work the field for us so we don't have to, so they can cook us food so we don't have to. Oh, and they can uh, satisfy our sexual desires. That is why there's a, a story of why the small g gods created human beings, out of a necessity to meet their needs. And this makes sense that human beings giving a description of why gods would create human beings, we think in needs, don't we? Like, yeah, I need my needs met. I'm gonna make something that causes to satisfy my needs. And, and we're saying that God, these small g gods give an explanation, a story of why humans were created out of need and out of lust. And you see, once again, Yahweh, big G God is saying, holy, holy, holy am I. I did not create human beings. I did not create you specifically because I need you. But in the contrary, he created you because he wanted you. You see, all these other gods and religions probably talk about, you know, they give an explanation of like, you have to serve me. You have to serve me. That is, that is the only reason you came into existence. Our God, Big G God says, no, I showed off my glory in this creation of who I am. And I love you so much. I want to be in a relationship with you. It has nothing to do with you meeting my needs. But God says, I'm holy. Romans 5, it says this, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you were still sinning, God loved you. Guess what? You weren't doing him any good. You don't do him any good. But yet he still loves you enough to come and die for you through Jesus Christ. You see, he did not create out of a need and a lust. He created because I want you. I want to be in a relationship with you. You are my child that I designed and created, and I just want to be in a relationship with you. Acts 17 says this, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives himself, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. The author of Acts here is writing because there are a group of people being influenced by these small G gods of this idea of you have to serve, 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 and meet the needs of God. He's saying, no, 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 no. Big G God is completely different. Following Jesus is completely different. And, and, and we might think, God created me to worship him. No, he didn't. Because if you don't worship him, the rocks will worship him. The trees will clap their hands, AKA their branches. The, the, the whole entire universe, the fact that it exists in this perfect, harmonious, and it's humming and it's singing God's praises because of this beautiful, immaculate creation that only could happen by an intelligent designer. There's angels in eternity in heaven going, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They are worshiping and praising him. And God's like, I don't need you to praise me. I don't need you to worship me. But I want you to. I want you to. You were created out of a desire 
from the Father, from God the Father, Yahweh. You were created out of a desire in his heart to be known and to know him. That is why you exist. Not because you have to meet some needs and expectations of what God designed you for. Our God is different. He's holy. He didn't create out of necessity, but he created out of love. Motivation, the second line on your chart. The motivation for obedience, okay? Why do people follow this God? Or why do people obey this God or religion? A lot of times there's fear is the motivation why people follow in obedience. But our God is saying, no, love is the reason and the motivation that you will follow me. And you don't have to look far on the internet to probably see that there are groups of people that have radical ideologies and say, if you don't, if you don't meet my philosophy, train of thought, or my ideology, we're going to wipe you out. And this happened all, you know, this happened time after time after time. They use force as leverage. They use this force or they use this fear to get people to obey and to buy in and follow God. But we do not serve an insecure God who will use force to convert people. Now, some of you, I don't want to get into a theological debate. There are some times in the Old Testament to where we see the nation of Israel doing some things like this and wiping some people out. That was pre-Jesus. We are post-Jesus. That was a different agreement between God and man and humanity. But after Jesus, it changed. And I'll also say this, God's judgment and justice, again, holy, we can't fully understand it. And I'm okay living in that tension, but I don't want to go down that route of that Old Testament stuff. Post-Jesus, force and fear is never a motivator. Because God will may look you in the eye, and this may be you today. He may be looking you in the eye and tugging on your heart and say, I love you, I created you, I want to be in a relationship with you. Jesus came and died for you on that cross, and you can look at God and say, nah, I don't think so. That cross stuff, that's not for me. And God isn't going to be mad and assign all of us to go wipe that person out. He's going to assign all of us as his church to come around that person and love them so radically that maybe their mind would change. Maybe their mind would just change. So love is now the leverage. Love is now the motivation of why we are obedient and following Christ because he first loved us. It's not fear. He doesn't force us. He doesn't coerce us into being in a relationship with him. We've tried brutal force in the past as Christians. You ever heard of the Crusades? <laughs> that didn't work out well. I think the local church thrives when at the center of its motivation of why we do what we do and why we follow Christ is out of our love. Because of the radical thing that he did for us out of love, we in return love him and love others, and that draws people to Christ. Not because we scare the crap out of them and threaten them or use force. We love them, and they experience that Christ-like love through us, the church, and man, they just want to be a part of it. They want to experience that because they have that void in their life. And once we start following Jesus and we feel that love and that transformation, I think we will do everything that God asks us to do out of obedience because we love him. The last one is method of righteousness. See, see righteousness just means right standing with God. Because we're all sinners, we're all separated, and that's not how it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be in relationship. And to be righteous means that we can be in relationship. So the method of us being in relationship with God, all these other small g gods would say, hey, there's a human sacrifice element needed, okay? But big g God, Yahweh is saying, listen, I don't need you to sacrifice anything in the human world. I already sacrificed myself for you. That's how he is holy. King Solomon, he's a, uh, he's, he's a king in the Bible that we can, you can go read about. And King Solomon had a lot of wives, which is probably never a good idea, but... 
he had a bunch of wives and he wanted more wives. So he went and found two more girls that he probably thought was attractive, said, hey, I want you to be my wife. So he marries them and they were worshiping pagan gods. And the thing about your wife, if you know this, if you're married, your wife has a ton of influence in your life. So guess what? King Solomon began to worship the gods of his wives, these pagan gods. And we see there was one god in particular called Molech. And this god, he required baby sacrifices, infant sacrifices in order to follow him. Molech is saying, hey, God, the god Molech is saying, hey, you want to show your radical obedience to me? You want to be in relationship with me? You want to follow me? Kill what you love most, your baby. That is insane. In the early 1900s, they literally did the archaeological digs at the, this mount called Gezer. And they are pulling up troughs was the exact instrument and the place in which they would spill the child's blood in these troughs. Radical. Urns with child bones have been lifted from the same place of these child sacrifices for the god of Molech. And the god of Baal is the same way. These pagan gods requiring what you love most, your child, your baby, to be killed in order to follow that little small G God. But big G God says, hey, listen, I sent Jesus, which is myself, because they're two of them the same. They're the same. They're both fully God. And Jesus is fully man. And he came and said, hey, I took what I loved most to sacrifice it for you so you don't have to do anything. That's a radical devotion of our God. That is a holy God doing things not in your paradigm, not in your script, not in man-made understanding. Outside of that, saying, I'm holy, I'm sending my son, I'm sacrificing myself for you. That's a holy God. It's a radical way. And so Jesus came, he worked 33, 33 years on this earth and was crucified on a cross. And Jesus, fully God, sacrificed himself for you. You see, Yahweh's not concerned, big G God, Jesus is not concerned with how you cut and, and hurt yourself and maybe even kill yourself or kill other people around you in order to be in a right relationship with him. He says, no, I don't need you to do that. I've already done it for you through Jesus. Holy, 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 different, different, different am I. And maybe this holiness thing is about to, starting to make sense to you. Maybe you're starting to see this picture of holiness. Everything about God is different than what we thought it might be. Philippians 2, this verse, man, so good, this little passage. Let me read it to you. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Do you want to know how we are to engage in our relationships? Just like this. This is holy. This is countercultural. This is off the map. Jesus came down out of the throne room of heaven. He didn't have to. He became constrained to time, space, and matter. Things that he's outside of, he became constraints to them. Not even just those constraints, he became like a human. He was a human, fully human. He said, I'll take it one step farther. I'm not just a human. I am a servant, man. And I'm here to serve every single person on the face of the earth. You and you and you and you and you and every single person on the face of the earth. I'm going to serve them. And how is he going to serve them and show his love? By dying on a cross for you. Jesus, I would think he would say it this way if he was here. Bro, listen. <laughs> I came down like seven levels to show you my holiness and give you an example. Because you can't. But I'm asking you to take a couple steps up the ladder. I'm asking you, there's got to be a few areas in your life and I'm going to ask you to be different. I'm going to ask you to be holy in. You can't do all seven. That's what I did. 
Jesus, that's what I did. But me and you, let's take a few in the right direction of giving back. And I think humbling ourselves to become a servant for all is the greatest example in how we can live out our holiness. All right, you're like, okay, Myron, that's Yahweh. That's big G God. Okay, maybe I understand he's holy. What about Jesus? Was he holy? Great, let's talk about that. Jesus shows up on the scene in near, the Near East, just a geographical location, modern-day Israel. Okay, We also can call it the Palestine area. So Jesus shows up and says, all right, what's up with society? He goes, okay, so women are abused and thrown out and used, and they're only as good as they're worth if they're able to be married and provide children for their husband. That's the worth of a woman in that society. And Jesus is like, okay, you know what? The first time that I'm going to proclaim that I'm the Messiah, the one that's been prophesied to come and save the people from their sins, when I'm going to say that for the first time from my mouth, who am I going to tell? A woman. And it's the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. I unpacked this, did a whole sermon on it. Go back and find it on our website if you want to learn more about it. Quick synopsis. Jesus is a Jew. This woman was a Samaritan. They shouldn't even be in the same place talking. He was a rabbi. She was a woman. That shouldn't happen publicly. And he tells her, listen, I am the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the one that's come to save people from their sins. He told it to a woman. It's crazy. Why would he do that? doesn't fit our script, doesn't fit our paradigm, doesn't fit the box that we probably would have created. We're saying, Jesus, you should have said that to a man. And Jesus says, yeah, I know, but I didn't come to fit your agenda. I came to flip it all upside down and show you how holy and radically different I am. And then he's like, okay, um, so I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die. I'm going to be put in a tomb. And on three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. And guess who's going to find out first? A woman. And in that time, this is fascinating to me. In that time, women, if they saw a crime happen, their, their testimony wasn't even valid. Their account and their witness wasn't even valid. It would have taken two women to have the same exact non, nothing could be in discrepancy, and they would have to give an account for the witness. So it takes two women. So you're considered half a witness as a woman. And guess what? Jesus is like, yeah, let's do that. But I'm going to come back from the grave and show and, and provide a testimony that I am no longer here. I've conquered death so you can have salvation. Let's have a woman come and, and notice that I'm not at the tomb first. People will believe that, won't they? It's crazy. It's radical. It's different. It's holy. It doesn't fit into what we, if man was writing this, think about it. If man was constructing this, this story and this account and giving this, we never would have wrote it this way. We never would have put it in this way. So God is holy. He's set apart. He's not like any other God. He's the only God, the only true God. And then you're probably like, okay, well, maybe he uh, hung out with the religious leaders like he was supposed to because he was like a teacher, right? No. He did not. He hung out with the sinners. He, he called people like prostitutes to come and follow him. He took, he took the marginalized and the outcast, which probably wouldn't fit into our story if we were writing it. He took those people on the fringes and brought them in, made them his closest compadres, and sent them out to change the entire world on their backs, building his church. That doesn't fit the narrative that we would have written, would it? He's holy. He's different. I didn't come to make complete sense to you. I came to flip it all upside down. Holy, holy, holy. Different, different, different. Now the implications for us, okay? Leviticus 11.44 says, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Be holy because I am holy. I'm a logical thinker. I got a master's degree. I'm very logical. I'm a very logical thinker. I break down things into their right order. 
And if I can prove and come to understand that he is holy, then I know I have to live out the other part of that command. And I hope that you agree with me that we have just discovered and unpacked that he is a holy God. He's different. He's set apart. He's not like anything else. He didn't come to fully make sense to us. And now the implication for us, where, where do I have to be holy? And this command, be holy because I am holy, shows up about eight times in scripture. So it's a recurring theme, and I want to see how this implies to us. And here's the, here's the thing I want to just disclaim. He doesn't require us to be holy. It's not like he, he, he demands this of us. It's the same way it applies with my, my, my daughter, Avalyn. She'll be two this month, okay? Her favorite phrase, two phrases, is my turn and I do it. My turn and I do it. And it's with regards to everything that I do. I'm brushing my teeth, I do it. I brush my teeth. Avalyn do it, my turn. I go outside and let the dog out. Avalyn go outside. She's on my hip, at my heels, wanting to do everything that I am doing, even to a fault sometimes. I'm trying to pee, and she's like, Avalyn, pee on the potty. I'm like, no, hold on. It's my turn. You sit there and wait. I'll bring you in in just a moment. And I never do this. I never go to pee pee on the potty and go, Avalyn, get in here. This is not how this works. I never once put that requirement on her to do everything that I am doing. I don't even expect that of her. But, man, it's so flattering when she wants to. It brings me so much joy because she loves me, and I think she shows her affection for me by wanting to be like her daddy. And the same thing is true with our relationship with our Heavenly Father. He doesn't require this of us. He's not putting this expectation on us. But, man, he wants us to because he wants to know that we love him and we have a deep affection for him. And in return, we will be obedient and do and mimic and be just like our daddy in heaven. I love it, man. A childlike faith, childlike obedience when it comes to following God is powerful. And this is, and this is, and this is funny. When we show our love and affection for God, we find our life. You know, in, in, in this pursuit of God, in the pursuit of his holiness, in this pursuit of mimicking him, I believe we will find our life. And scripture tells us find life more abundant. You know God's holy, doesn't fit into your brain, you're scratching your head, you're confused. You want to find life abundant that will have you scratching your head and confused. It's found in pursuing Christ, denying yourself and your own desires and following him. Think about it. Someone who's given them, themselves over to the desires of this world, who really has their own roadmap and saying, this is what I'm doing. I'm just going to fill my life satisfying my desires of this world. You might look at their life and go, man, I don't really want to be you. We could probably conclude that no one really wants to switch lives with that person, do we? But in following Christ, you will have the life that will be irresistible in people if you love right. If you love right, if you demonstrate love right, people will see that and go, there's something different. It's because we're being holy. We're being different. And when they see that difference, that is how they will know you are a Christ follower. Not because you use force, not because you use any other method, but because you use love at the center and the focal point of everything that you do. And you will find your life. So God's command for us to be holy isn't a requirement, isn't a necessity, but is out of love and affection for him and what he did for us that we will obey out of love and follow him and mimic him. So how do we get practical here? All right, Myron, so great, good pep talk, pumped up, excited. I hope you're pumped up. Those are my words, not yours. I hope you're excited. 
But then you're like, man, what happens Monday through Saturday? What happens Monday? Through, how, how, how do I practically live out this call to be holy? And I want to give this disclaimer. Church is a safe place to have tough conversations. I want to just always have that as our perception. This is a safe place. And I'm going to say some things that might ruffle your feathers. I'm going to say some things that you probably won't agree with. And that is perfectly fine. But I, I don't want to shy away from hard conversations because it's church. We don't talk about that in church. But let's talk about it in church. How do we live out this holiness? And I'm, I'll say this. You might want to write this down. Holiness is not a list of do's and don'ts. Holiness is not a list of do's and don'ts. I do this, I do this, I do this. I don't do this, I don't do this, I don't do this, and I'm good. That's called legalism. And that never leads to anything good. We have our list of don'ts, don't we? Well, there's this tradition in the church, I think, of, of being this ideal of being holy. It's like, okay, we can't dance, you know, can't dance. We can't, we can't, we can't have fun that way. We got to wear long skirts. That was the floss for anybody who doesn't know. Um, you can't dance. You, you, you can't, you got to wear like skirts. You can't wear jeans. You, you can't go to the movie theater and watch inappropriate rated movies. You can't, you can't drink a beer or a, some alcohol. You can't, you can't say a cuss word. You can't do so many things. Our church, the history is like, don't do, don't do, don't do, don't do, don't do. And we define that as holiness. And I'm saying, no, it's not holiness. That is not how practical holiness is lived out in our life. We think sometimes that God's call for our life to be holy is that we have to abstain from so many things. We think that is the definition of holiness. And maybe, you know what? Maybe God's not as concerned about the what. He's more concerned about the why and the internal heart motivation behind what you do. He's more concerned about why are you doing this? What is your motivation behind doing this? Not necessarily the what, but the why inside of you. And guess what? We want it black and white, don't we? We would love to live with a list of do's and don'ts. It's easier that way. And I think that's why we default there. It's easier. It's tough to go off the map and live in this tension of what it means like to be holy. We just want a list. Tell me what to do. Yes or no. Right and wrong. Do or don'ts. But guess what? Yahweh's different. Jesus is different. He's not going to fit our script, our paradigm, our box that we want. He didn't come to fulfill our desire or our, our, our perspective and write it the way in which we would want it to be written. And we have such a tendency in our culture to get legalistic by creating our lists, don't we? And, I, and I'll tell you this, legalism will kill your walk with Christ. It will kill and destroy your walk with Christ. And then what it does is it kills and destroys your ability to reach people, to love people well, and to invite them in to experience the life, life more abundant that you probably maybe have or want. It, it robs you. Legalism kills your walk with Christ and it kills your ability to reach non-believers. So, Myron, can I drink a beer? I don't know. I would say this. What is your motivation behind it? Are you numbing some source of stress and anxiety in your life? Are you turning to the drink to numb something in you just to cope and get by with life? Are you replacing Jesus inside of you with a substance? If that's the motivation, that's destructive. And I would say that's probably a don't for you on your list. But to take that don't for you and apply it to every single person in humanity is legalistic. And I don't think it's biblical. And you trudge on some very thin ice and waters in that. So, can I drink responsibly? Can I have a few every now and then? 
Not drunkenness. That is a completely different thing. I think that's clear in scripture. But the consumption for enjoyment, responsibly managed and handled, yeah. Why not? But that's up for you, and that's between you and Christ. I'll say this, disclaimer. If it is going to damage your walk with Christ, don't do it. That is the priority in your life. The love and affection and obedience to Christ. And if he's saying no, that's you, and that's great. Respect it, love it, but do not legalistically apply that to every single other human being. We have to be able to have self-control around these things. What about... uh, what about, you know, watching R-rated movies? You know, consuming that inappropriate material. I would say not all, not all R-rated movies are technically going to pollute your mind and your soul. There are some, and you probably need to abstain from watching those. And I feel so convicted sometimes. I get on Netflix and I watch some of this stuff, man, and instantly a couple scenes come on and I go, nope, I'm not going to do it. But that's me because I feel the nudge of the Holy Spirit saying, Myron, that is not going to be good for you. That's not going to be good for your wife. That's not going to be good for your relationships. That's going to warp your thinking and your heart. That is not good for you, Myron. But I will never apply that to every single person. You may be in a place in the season of life where that doesn't bother you and and it's not going to change your perspective. It's not going to pollute your mind and your soul. That's up for us and Christ, the Holy Spirit, to work hand in hand to figure out what is good and not good for you. And some of you are like, I'm frustrated. I want a list. I want black and white. I want yes and no. I don't want to live off the map in this tension. It's too hard. But Jesus said, life isn't ever always going to be easy. But keep me first, seek his kingdom first, and everything else will be added to you. We definitely need to monitor the media that we consume. But to downright say, because it's got a label R or PG-13, that it is inappropriate for my consumption is legalistic and not helpful. Now, I'm not trying to convince you one way or another. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to trudge through this with Christ on your own. But I would say this. Look at the Pharisees in Scripture. The most legalistic black and white people, and Jesus opposed them. There's something significant about that, that I read and see a theme over and over and over. And Jesus is our model. If he's the one that we are to mimic, if he's daddy in heaven that I'm supposed to be like, I want to follow his model. And his model was never making absolute claims that you can't do this to every single person. That's legalism. And Jesus, I think, opposed legalism. Look at the Pharisees. And now, we can make just, and some of you are like, okay, so, all right, so I'm going to go out and drink and whatnot and watch R-rated movies. My pastor said it was okay. Hear me on this. I am not giving you permission to justify a destructive, harmful thing for your life. Guess what? I did that for years. I got addicted to pornography and masturbation. And in that season of my life, I was justifying and saying, it's not hurting anybody. It's fine. It's just me. Maybe this is is okay. Like, yeah, I see maybe premarital sex is bad and cheating on your wife is bad. That's what he means by sexual immorality. And I came up with a very good logical argument of why it was okay. And I was squashing the voice of God in my life. So run it through the filter. Is it destructive for you, your relationships around you, and ultimately your relationship with Christ? If it is, then it's a don't. It's a don't. Now, I'm not defined by that. I'm set free from that. I've overcome that. I've kicked that, and I praise God that I have. But there is baggage and damage because of that season and my behavior and my false justification of what was appropriate for me. I am not giving you a permission or an excuse to find your justification. It's not what I'm saying. 
Find Jesus' justification and speak into his relationship and build your relationship with the Holy Spirit and Christ to know what is destructive and harmful for you. Jesus is our model. And I want to look at the do's more than the don'ts. And I want to focus on the do's of what it looks like to live out holiness. And I think if we focus on the do's and prioritize the do's, the don'ts will figure themselves out in the background because your heart and your mind will be pure. And the thing, the, thing, the recurring things I see about, see about Jesus is this, love. The new commandment that he gave everybody was love. And my challenge to you is what does Christ-like love look like in your life? What does love require of you? What does love require of you? And it might be different for everybody, but what is God asking you to do with your love and how you treat and how you interact with people? That is how you will display your holiness. That is how people will know that you are a Jesus follower by the way in which you love. Second thing I see is humility. The Philippians 2 verse, he came as a servant and served all of mankind. He humbled himself. He was God. He didn't have to. He considered himself worthless and served everybody else. And if you can make that a priority and say, God, I'm going to serve people. I am going to give back to people. I'm going to humble myself and realize it's not about me. It's about them and about what you want to do in their life. And I'm, I'm willing, man. I'm going to humble myself and become a servant. And that may be the most practical form of love you can ever show somebody. Denying yourself, your wants, your desires, and putting somebody else's needs before your own. In that, I think you will display your holiness. Focus on that. Another thing, too, is generosity. I see, I see Jesus modeling this idea of generosity, saying, hey, take your time, your money, your resources, and invest them in people. That is a radical kind of love. We think, me, 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 I just want more, 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 more. No, 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 no. It's not even yours to begin with. Let's understand that. And then as you start to see that this isn't even mine, I get to leverage it and use it and be generous for other people, that is a form of love that is so radical, it will transform people's lives. That's one of the do's. Let's focus on that. And the last thing I will say, it's kind of a don't, but it is a do. Stay sexually pure. Flee from sexual impurity as fast as you possibly can and make a commitment to stay pure in your sexual life because that will rob you and that will, that will cause all kinds of trouble and chaos and scars in your life. I've been there and I don't want you to live there either. And if you're living there, stop justifying it like I was. Get some prayer at the back, man. And get set free from that. That's what it took for me. Exposing it to some people so that it could be healed. Because I can sit inside and hold that stuff inside of me and it does me no good. But I got to get it out into the light and let somebody else in so that I can get free from that. So sexual purity. Stay sexually pure. Do those four things. Love, have humility and serve. Be generous and give, 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 give. And stay sexually pure. Focus on those four things. And then this list of don'ts that our society has or this church culture has created, you'll figure those out because your relationship with Jesus will be humming on all cylinders. And you will feel his presence and you will know the nudges and convictions of what you are and are not to do. Our holiness is played out when we are obedient to the Holy Spirit and his nudges and his convictions in your life. Now, when we make a list of do's and don'ts, we're robbing the true life that Jesus wants to give us. And we are hindering the effectiveness of taking the gospel to the world around us. Let's stop being legalistic. Holiness is not legalism. Holiness is this pursuit of Christ saying, I just want to mimic you, Jesus. And I thank you so much for the sacrifice that you made, the radical love that you showed me. And in return, I want to show it back.
and I just want to be like you. Changing the world. Use me, God. If you can change the world, Jesus, absolutely I'm ready. Use me to be a light, to use love as an influence to draw people to the Father. God is holy. Jesus is holy. He's asking us to be holy. Let's not be legalistic and churchy and weird. Let's go be normal, spirit-filled lives, bringing love to the people that need it most. Let's go and be holy. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I just thank you so much that you did show us the most incredible sacrifice and the most incredible form of love through Jesus on the cross. And because of that, you were just asking us to take a few steps forward in our walk of being set apart, of being different, of pursuing you above all else to know the right and the wrong, the do's and the don'ts. Father, help us to break any binds of legalism that we have. Help us to break those chains that maybe hold us captive of wanting a black and white script of yeses and nos and do's and don'ts and help us live in the tension in the gray, but pursuing you above all else and you would reveal and teach and guide and give us insight so that we don't compromise our walk with you and compromise our influence with the people around us. And I pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. In addition to these podcasts, please come visit us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling, Sunday mornings at 9.30 and 11.15, and experience these encouraging messages, some incredible music, and so much more in person. We would love to meet you. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.